Our text this morning comes out of 1 Peter. I invite you to turn with me and follow along on the screen and stand for the reading of the Word of God. Beginning at verse 1, starting, I'm sorry, chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, going down through verse 23. And we will return to this passage a few times today. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. Amen. You may be seated. (laughs) Sermon titles can sometimes tell you what I'm going to talk about and sometimes they can't. I intend to give you a title that you can take with you through the week that when you hear the phrase, someone else says it, or later in life, you'll remember what was said today. Never forget. Heard it a lot. Heard it a lot in lots of different contexts. Always to remember something. 9-11, the tragedies that day. Sometimes it's never forget where you're from. Never forget what was done. It's a saying. It's an idea. Something to remind us. And I have a couple reminders also. In my pocket I carry with me a coin that talks about the full armor of God, putting it on. Now, you might say, why do you have a coin in your pocket about the full armor of God? It's to remind me to put it on every day. And it talks about the six parts that need put on. So when I pick it up and put it in my pocket, I'm going, oh yeah, put that armor on. It's a reminder. A reminder is something that helps me not to forget. You would think that I would remember it because I belong to God. But we don't always put the armor on. And we need a reminder. I know I do. And then there was a day a few years ago when I received an important lesson and I was given a ribbon which hangs from my rearview mirror in my van. And every time I get in my van, I remember what that lesson was. And so whenever I start to get a little anxious about the day, I look at the ribbon and I do what I can. Now that ribbon is a reminder. You think that when I get in my vehicle, I know God's in control. But sometimes things happen. And life gets crazy. 
And sometimes there's emergencies and things like that, and they seem like they're more precedented over everything else. And so that knowledge that God is in control is floating out there. But when I see that, it brings it all back and says, God's in control. I have a little circle I live in, and that's all I can influence. Everybody else, I can't change. Just me. And that's important to have those reminders. You might think, well, I don't use those. We all do. We have calendars. They tell us what time of each week to be at church or at work or if we're in school, what time our classes are, what time we eat, what time we do this. We all go by a clock. It's a reminder of what time to do things. You say, well, I, I, I know I don't need to look at that. I know when I go to church. I know when I eat. I know when I go to work. Well, we all have planners. We have appointments. When you go to a doctor's office, do they say, okay, I'll see you in six months on this day at this time? Or they give you a little appointment card and remind you. I have a dentist that gives me that, but they also send me a text two days before. I think dentists do that because they know you probably don't want to come. So it's probably the truth for all of us. Uh, I need a reminder for that, right? Because I forget. Why? Because six months from now, I'm not thinking about, oh yeah, I have a dentist appointment I scheduled six months ago. I'm just not thinking about those things. Or those annual checkups. Or the ones we do every five years. Are you going to sit around walking around trying to remember all this stuff so you don't forget it? Or are you going to write it down and have some way to remind you? Phones have schedulers, planners. People make a lot of money off of those day timers. We all use something. Don't know what you use, but if you don't use something, you're probably forgetting a lot. I used to use three by five cards before they had iPhones and things like that, and I'd stick one in my pocket and I'd pull it out throughout the day and look, see what I had to do, what time I had to do it. That was my planner, a three by five card I wrote every morning. You know, I don't need that as much now because I have electronic technology, which is not always reliable. But I learned one thing. A 3x5 card's battery never wears out. And the data can't be wiped out unless somebody erases it or burns it. (laughs) Or I lose it. But I could lose other things too, couldn't I? You see, we all try to remind ourselves with things so we don't forget them. Because they're important. Or else they're important to somebody else. Like someone else's birthday. I know when I was born, and I know most of my family's birthdays, but if you have a birthday, I most likely don't know when it is. Now you might say, well, I know why it is, why don't you? Because I don't have a reminder. Unless Facebook pops it up and you're friends with me, then it'll tell me you had a birthday today. Or it's upcoming. See, there's all these things telling us to remind us what we need, excuse me, what we need not to forget. But one thing we keep forgetting is that God is in control. Bottom line. Amen? Amen. Sometimes I wonder if you believe that if you don't say amen. But God is in control and He always has been. And He is now and He always will be. The enemy, the devil, Satan cannot defeat Him. His plans cannot thwart God's plans. God is not surprised by anything that happens in your life, although you may very well be. We call them accidents. 
or oops, or oh no, or something like that. But I want to tell you, each moment belongs to God. He knew it was going to happen. I want to ask you this. What is it about a stressful or anxious moment that keeps you from knowing God's got this? What is it? Is it fear? Is it uncertainty? The unknown? That maybe no one's really ever been there for you and so God's kind of like setting a new precedent? What is it that tells you God cannot or will not be a part of the solution or that He didn't know about it? Long before you ever had the problem, God had the answer. (coughs) Did you know that Jesus Christ gave His life on Calvary before you were born? As an answer for you? God already had the solution in mind long before you came along. He knew you would need these things. Speaking of Jesus, today is the day that the church universal celebrates or honors, if you will, the baptism of Jesus Christ. When He came to see John the Baptist and He was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon Him and God said, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is what God said. Now, someone said to me this week as I was... I guess they were thinking about this being the baptism of the Lord Sunday. He said, did you know that God said that over His Son before His Son did any ministry? That He was pleased with His Son before He raised the dead, healed the sick, walked on water, turned water into wine. That's later. He's done nothing ministry-wise. And He said, this is My Son and I'm pleased with Him. Without Him having done something. Now, a lot of us want us to, God to be pleased with us for what we've done. But God is pleased with us because we are His children. And we forget that sometimes. We need to know this because Jesus was blessed by His Father and He knew He was His Father's Son. Catch this. God the Father was pleased with His Son, Jesus, because He was His Son. (laughs) Because He was His child. That's not hard for a parent to understand. That's not a hard concept for someone to say, I understand why He's proud of Him, why He loves Him, and He's pleased with Him because He gave Him life. That's understandable. But what we don't understand when we hear that is He says the same thing over us. You are my beloved child and I'm well pleased with you. And you go, but God, I sin. I'm still well pleased with you. God, I've never done anything great in Your kingdom. I'm still well pleased with you. And we don't remember this. What we think is that God needs to be in favor of us (laughs) because of what we've done or, or the state of our heart. But Scripture clearly tells us that God loved us and proved His love, that He loved and gave His Son for us when we were still sinners. When we still didn't care about our relationship with God. When we weren't walking or living as a child of God. Scripture even says we were orphans at the time. In our text today, 
Peter's talking about not being redeemed with corruptible things. But we're redeemed from our aimless conduct by the precious blood of Christ. And I love that. I love that. I love that. I wish there was a song that someone could sing on Sundays, especially says precious blood. Heard precious name. Oh, how precious is the flow. But precious blood of Jesus. The sweetest thing. I'll know. Y'all write that for me and sing it, would you? Amen? You can no amen on that one, I'm sure. <laughs> well, maybe y'all will come up with it and surprise me. But he also says, so then you're redeemed from this incorruptible or corruptible life so that your faith and hope are in God. That your hope, that this situation, whatever you face, has its hopeful outcome in God. And that your faith says it is God who runs and orchestrates it in the first place. And then he says this, which is on the screen. Having been born again through incorruptible seed. Do you understand incorruptible seed means that your lineage is pure? And you are pure. And through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. In other words, when God does something, He does it right. I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of different repair work on vehicles and things in the house, and I've had to redo it. Now, I'm not saying much about my work ethic or anything, but this week I purchased for my wife a snowblower. A snow throw. You know what those things you push along and throw snow? I don't end up using it, of course. But I put it together. And for some reason, the last part wouldn't fit. Well, I looked at the instructions. I just didn't read them. And I said, well, it looks like this part's upside down. And I don't know why, but it doesn't fit. So I had to, guess what? Take it all apart. Put it right side up. Put it all back together. I had to do it twice. If I were God, here's proof I'm not, I would have done it right the first time. Honey, I'm not God. Shocker. Shocker. I know. I know. I know. It's a newsflash. But I already knew it. I just wanted you to know that I knew it. But the reason I mention this is because we forget that God has redeemed us and He sees us as pure as His own Son, Jesus Christ. He sees you in the same classification. He sees you as holy and righteous. And He looks at you and says, I'm well pleased with you. We can't, we can't fathom that. So maybe we need to get a cross in our pocket or a reminder that says, I am spotless, flawless in the eyes of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, it tells us a little bit more about who we are. Up on the screen it says, Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Do you know this? In the next verse, For you were bought. You were bought. 
Well, I'm not for sale. You sold out to the devil long before God got it on you. You were bought by sin. You were under its power. You had to be purchased. And you were bought with a price. It says, since you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Wait a minute. No, I hear everywhere on the news, I own my body. It's my body. There was a conversation before church today about someone saying, it's my body, I can do what I want. Scripture says if you belong to God, it's His body. Oh, no, 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 God. No, no, no. I choose what I eat. I choose what I wear. I choose what to do to myself. Yes, you do. And if you don't glorify God with it, God will not be pleased. He cannot bless bad behavior. Well, you see, what God's trying to tell you is the Holy Spirit's in you. <laughs> That's what it says. He has purchased you and put the Holy Spirit in you. Each one of us belongs to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's there to show us and the enemy and the Father who we belong to. Who do you belong to? If it's your body, you belong to you. And in about 50 years or less, or 100 years or less, you will no longer have it to control. And you'll go, wait a minute, I didn't really want this thing, it's kind of old and wore out, I'm done with it. And you'll want to leave the thing. You'll be done with it. I'm sick of this body, I'm sick of this role, I just want out. At that point, you won't want your body. But if you own it, you're stuck with it for eternity. Bad shape. But the Holy Spirit in you says you belong to God. And it says it to anybody who would come against you to tell you otherwise. Whether it's events or situations, trials, struggles, relationships, or heartbreaks. All of it within you belongs to God. And God's already seen it and He's made a way. His way to work it out. His way for His glory, for His kingdom. What happens is we don't understand that and we try to put the pieces back in different places. We don't know how to make it work. And yet God is, keeps saying, I own your life. And you're going, no, 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 it's my life. I got a song on the CD I heard the other day that said, it's my life. Just like Frankie says, I'm doing it my way. Now Frank Sinatra. Or Elvis. <coughs> Presley, not the dog. Um... But we all want to talk about self-autonomy. And it's our life, our place, our time, our schedules, our family, our desires. It's about me. We keep forgetting who we belong to. And every time we forget, things fall apart. And I think things fall apart so we'll remember who we belong to. So we remember, we're not in control. After all, if you were in control, things wouldn't fall apart in your life. It'd be smooth sailing. At least that's the way I picture it. Unless you really want the rough stuff, then I guess that's teach their own. But I believe you don't want calamity. I believe you don't want a life stricken with depression, anxiety, fear, worry, concern, sickness, poor health, or anything like that. I don't think you would choose that willingly, knowing what that's like. Yet, we can't. 
make those choices. But what we can do is begin to live under the ownership of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us we're anointed, that we're sealed, and that we're empowered. But we still live life like we're living on our own terms and on our own without help. How many times have you ever heard someone, even yourself, in a difficult situation saying, God, where are you? I need your help now! We've all cried out, God, help me. Please, come now, hurry. God's saying, what makes you think I'm not already there? Do you think I didn't know this was going to happen? Do you think if you choose my way, it's going to work out? If you acknowledge me in all your ways, I will direct your paths. Don't think on your own understanding. God can do it. Oh, we know that. God can do anything. Nothing's impossible for God. We know this. But we keep forgetting, don't we? I'm here to tell you, never forget that. That God can do anything at any time, any moment, usher in, and everything changes. Broken lives left for pull the feeding tube out and send them home to live out the last few hours. And yet God says otherwise, and John Watts sits in our sanctuary today. Over a year and a half later now. Praise God. He can do it. If God shows up, stuff happens that you don't expect. Because you aren't God, you can't make miracles happen. God can. In 1 Corinthians 7.23 it says this, and you were bought at a price. We know what the price was. It's the precious blood of Jesus. Do not become slaves of men. Now, you might be going, well, I'm not in slavery, bondage. Let me tell you who this is written to. It's written to people who are indentured servants and slaves. It's written to masters of those slaves too. It says in the verse before, which I didn't tell you because I wanted you to rehear this like it was fresh. It says, slaves, live as free under God, but obey your masters because you are free in God. So it says, don't live or become slaves of men. Well, if there are already slaves of men, then how does this verse work? Because we're enslaved to what we give power to and over in our life. Just because someone has authority in our life and exercises it, doesn't mean that they're the power that runs our life. It is only that which you worship and give your allegiance to that has power over you. So don't become slaves of men. It means simply this. Don't become slaves to yourself, to your thinking, to what the world tells you to do, or how someone should say that you live or act in order to be a part of society or matter. <clears throat> do not become slaves of false philosophies. Become slaves of Jesus Christ. You already belong to Him. Worship and serve Him like a slave and He will set you free. This is what He's saying. But we forget... That we're already alone, so we want to become indentured or slaves to everything around us. You know, 
one of the hardest things for me to see in the toughest situation is when when we'd do anything for our health back. It's really tough to get it back. You know, we take it for granted until we don't have it. And then we say, God, just one more day. Sometimes we just say, five more minutes, God. Five more minutes. Watching my parents uh, slowly die over the few years ago, I wanted to make sure I said everything I needed to say. And I went in with my mother and I, and I saw my dad and I said everything I needed to say because I didn't want to say I need five more minutes. I wanted to clear everything out of my heart and have them the opportunity to do the same. So I didn't go, God, there's five more minutes because I knew their time was drawing short. We don't know when we're going to say, God, just five more minutes. Paxton's a miracle here. Those five more minutes might not have happened. There are miracles all over this place. But we could have been, should have been, not been here anymore. Friendships, relationships, people we know that could have not been in our lives, but God orchestrated it differently. Because God stepped in at the right time to make it happen. And yet we still become slaves to thinking God can't do it or He won't. You belong to God. You are His. And it's the greatest feeling to be owned by God. It's not a chained bondage owning. It's a freedom. His Spirit, which He places in you and on you, is jealous for you. Oh, oh, I used to think God can't be jealous, but oh, He is. And it's the right kind of jealousy. You see, God puts His Spirit in you to remind you that you belong to Him and Him to see you and know that you belong to Him. And when He sees you going other ways, He's going, you got My Spirit. I want you back. I don't want you running around with false idols, false beliefs, false hopes, or thinking that I'm not who I am. I'm jealous that you know all about me. I want you to know all I have for you And I want you to know everything in this world has been done for you. And I gave my son to show you how much I love you. I'm jealous for you. I want you. I don't want anybody else to have you. I want you all for mine. I don't want the devil to get a hold of you because I know what that's like. (laughs) Some of us know what that's like. You are a child of God. Get this. We always say a child of God. It's I'm a child in God's care. This world needs mature Christians to be able to stand up against it. But we start out as children. And we need help. And so we think we're God because we can make choices. What a recipe for disaster that is. But thank God God can take our disasters and make them into amazing displays of grace. In Acts chapter 10, our friend Peter's talking again. I think this is kind of a message this morning from the heart of Peter to us. And Peter is, in the context here, anti Gentile, anti-us, if you will. 
He's totally Jews. Gentiles have no part of the kingdom of God. And a man named Cornelius comes and says, um, we need to be baptized and part of the kingdom of God. And this is where Peter changes in this passage in Acts chapter 10. He says, he opens his mouth and then says, in truth, I perceive God shows no partiality. That means everybody gets it. Everybody can be a child of God. Everybody can receive the Holy Spirit. Everybody needs God. There's not a person that doesn't need God. Whoever thinks they don't need God has forgotten they need God. They should never forget that. We need God in a good way. But in every nation, whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. Every nation, he's talking about the Gentiles now, as well as the Jews. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He's Lord of all, that word you know, which is proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism, which we just mentioned, which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day, showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is He who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Here Peter's saying, I'm not the judge of the Gentiles. Jesus is the judge of all living and dead. To Him, all the prophets witness that through His name, whoever believes in Him will receive remission of sins. That means child of God. It's for everybody. You can be a child of God. And once you are, God wants you to stay that way and to be reminded of it. And when you forget and all this tragedy happens, it's God's way of saying, I'm still God. You still need me. I'm still your dad. A couple friends of mine call God Daddy when they pray to remind them that He's Dad. He's not just God. He's Father. You see, we forget when things distract us from the reality of God. We forget when life gets in the way and we get stressed and we don't have time to pray. We don't have time for God. Don't have time to study His Word or lift another person up who's struggling. We become so self-absorbed because our life has caved in. But it's not our life. It's God's life. We don't belong to us. We just learned this, hopefully, again. You see, we also forget when we don't live out the faith. And that one's a little harder. Because a lot of folks think that faith is you just say a prayer, ask God to bless you, bring you home when you're done with life. And after that, the rest of it's up to you. That's not living out the faith. As a matter of fact, I promise you, 
that hell is full of forgiven sinners. Did you know that? Well, you say, oh, wait, wait, if they're forgiven, it can't be there. Jesus Christ covered it all. It's not about being forgiven. It's about being alive and living the faith for God. So when a tragedy or a struggle comes, you go, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. God's saying, good. Let me. You just watch. How many times did God have to tell the Israelites, you just watch and see the glory of God. Jesus said to the disciples when Lazarus was dying, you will see the glory of God. Just believe. All you have to do is believe. The man whose son was being thrown into the fire and trying to kill him, demon-possessed, they're coming down the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples can't cast him out. And Jesus comes and sees the boy and asks the dad, what's going on? He says, he's been like this his whole life. And the demon wants to kill him. And he says, I don't think your disciples are going to do it. I don't know if anybody can. And Jesus says, all things are possible if you believe. And the man says, I believe. Help my unbelief. That's where we're at. I believe, but there's a part of me that still gets stuck in not being sure. I still get doubts and questions. And those doubts and questions need a reminder. And you need the full armor of God on. And you make change with the cashier. And you get in your vehicle. You say, well, why are you showing me all this? I'm going to tell you why I'm showing you all this. Because in Scripture, it's very clear what God asked the Israelites to do. And, and for a long time, I thought, well, that's kind of silly. But He said, put the Word on your doorpost. Put reminders over your mantle. Carry them along a little thing on your neck. Where am I? I think there's one on your head and one on your waist. A reminder of God's Word and presence. And have all these different body parts correspond to all the prayers you need to pray. Why would He have them do that? Because if you look at your hands, you got five prayers, whatever they were. You look at someone else's face, you got ten more. You're never going to forget because you have a constant reminder. But this world wants to distract you from the reminders that God is. And that you are a part of His kingdom. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says this, Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully, I love this, upon the grace that's to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now people read this verse, and I understand how they can kind of confuse it with the book of Revelation. But when Peter wrote this, that wasn't in existence. He says that the revelation of Jesus Christ happens any moment. When Jesus shows up, your hope comes back. You're reminded that God can do anything. He says, rest your hope fully on this moment of grace when Jesus shows up again. That's what we need to do. And the revelation happens, don't forget this, when you remember who you belong to and who's in control of the situation, really. That's when Jesus shows up. Because you say, God, you're God, I'm not. You're in control, I'm not. 
do something I can. He said, that's a recipe for me to do something. Because God hears the cries of His children. And He will never forsake the righteous or leave their seed begging for bread. So it's a song. So if you rest your hope fully upon the grace that's to be brought to you at that moment when Jesus is seen in your life, it steps into the situation in a way you can see Jesus. Well, Jesus had to have done that because I sure couldn't have. But it also says, wow, He was already there, but I didn't see Him because I was trying to find my own solution. This man I know grew up in church. Pastor of that church well known. Family connected to the pastor's family. As he grew older, he found out he was good at making money. Oh, he was a believer in Jesus. But the money was important. He married, wife had a good job. Had a couple of kids. One of them was uh, a very troubled birth and a lot of surgeries. But he had money. No expense too great. And throughout their lives, the kids never wanted for anything physically. Clothes, nice house, anything he wanted. Christmas was insane. All those things for his children. And he had the money to provide it. And very gracious and generous to the family. Children got older. One Christmas morning, his daughter walks downstairs. He says, Daddy, I, I, I gotta pay something. I don't know if you know this or not. He said, What, honey? He said, Daddy, did you know that Christmas is also about this guy named Jesus? He was born on that day. Did you know people worship that, celebrate that? At that moment, he lost it. Fell apart. And said, What have I done to my child? I've done everything for them but forgot God. He thought he was a provider for his children. He forgot, didn't he? He forgot what brought him through to where he is. When you forget, other people suffer, including your children, your friends, because you think they already know, or, you know, everybody knows about this stuff. Now they're back in church. And they have a church they call their own church. This is our church. We like our pastor. We really enjoy it. Our kids go. They love church. And... There's a difference in the family. Before it was you got enough, why are you whining? Now it's let's spend some time together. Let's hang out. Let's laugh. Let's go to church. Talk about Jesus. And let's never forget who we are. Who gave us what we got. It wasn't Santa. It was God. God did it. 
Maybe you've seen some of that in your life. But I'm asking you this morning to find a phrase, whether it's never forget, or a tassel, a sign on a door, a sticky note somewhere, or the mirror, something to remind you to never forget who you belong to or who's in control of the situation. I've got to tell you, and this is how I want to close this message. I had a very difficult April. Not because it was a bad April, but because I was afraid it was going to be a bad April. And you all remember the story I was getting ready for Cairo's prison ministry. They had stories about maybe dying on the prison yard, taking our clothes and our ID so they could escape. And maybe a few hours later, I'd be found you know, mangled and they'd be out on the streets because they had the ID they could leave. And all these stories in my life, and all the fears, and they said, do not take this lightly. And so I'm going, God, what am I getting myself into? The morning of the first day on the hill, if you're not familiar with the hill, it's basic and hardened. We're sitting there eating breakfast very early in the morning, and I look on a wall right in front of me. Now you might say, well, that picture's been there a long time. I've never sat in this spot before. I've always sat in a different spot, way down in the end. Maybe it's coincidence that I sat in this spot this day. Or maybe it's coincidence that that was the only spot left for me to sit that day. And I sit in the spot and there's a sign on the wall. It says, I got this. God. All my anxiety left. Because if God can't protect me there, where can He protect me? If He can't protect me here on this earth and provide for me here, how can He provide for me in eternity? But if He can here, then maybe He can there, and my hope is resting fully that He can, that He's got this. You need a reminder so that you never forget. Whatever works for you. If it's a, a buzzer on your phone that goes off, an alarm that rings in your head that says, pray, thank God, remember you belong to Him. This is not too big for Him. You'll get through this. Whatever you need, put a reminder, you can do it. God told the Israelites, write it down in a place where you'll see it prominently all the time. Not because He wanted them to be showy so they'd know who's God. And so you'd know that he is God and you belong to Him. And He's got this. And He's caring for you. You belong to Him. He bought you with the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And He's not going to let you go. He jealously yearns for you. He wants you. And He's not giving up on you. Never will. And His patience will lead to your salvation. This is His promise. So I'm asking you just one simple question today. What are you going to do tangible to help you remember? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I've got a coin in my pocket to remind me to put on the armor. That you've given us. You've given me as your child. I got a ribbon that reminds me that I'm not in control that you are. And yet, God, sometimes those things I'm not looking at. Them. So I'm asking you this morning to write on my heart 
and everybody else's heart here, your promise and your steadfastness and your faithfulness and your promise over us that speaks to us and says we belong to you. There's nothing we'll go through that you can't handle. Lord, it's too big for us, but it's not too big for you.